I've spent the majority of my adult life uh, studying men. Uh, I, I take notes uh, when I'm in groups of men. I walk back to my computer. I record notes. I uh, put voice memos on my phone. I talk to men in conferences. I engage men in, uh, as colleagues. I, uh, I, I'm always listening to podcasts about the study of men. I, I opened up the Word of God and, and went from front to back. I've looked up Hebrew words, Greek words. Um, if you were to cut me open, and most of you are aware of that, there, there's a real passion that I have to see us reach the man for Christ. And I firmly believe with all my heart that a man that's running hard after Jesus uh, can change the world. And I believe that the church is like the greenhouse for that to take place. And I think chasing after Jesus makes you a, a rugged, tender warrior for Jesus Christ. And I think that's the call that God has placed on our lives to, to be tender warriors. So I've vested a lot of time, hours and hours, praying and, and just uh, learning and growing and, and observing my own life and, 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 then, and then being a father of two boys, longing that my sons grow up to be men that chase hard after Jesus, pouring life on life to them, um, debriefing after things we do together, teaching them as we go along the way. It's been our parenting model for Ann and I. We we're constantly stopping and, and interjecting and asking questions and interjecting life on life to our, my sons and my daughter, Hannah. Um, so I'm always analyzing men. I, I find myself reading journals and articles and magazines. And I believe with all my life as I, as I prep for this message that the primary fight that a man battles, like if we were just to say, this is the battle, I believe this is the one that you and I fight the most with. I'm a man. I, you know, I, I battle this battle like you do. And, and by God's grace, we can overcome it. And I believe that one of the primary battles for men is the fight to perform or to keep up. I believe we're constantly trying to be performers. I believe we're constantly trying to keep up. We walk into rooms and we're, we're checking out dudes and saying, I could take him, I could take him, I could take him. We, we're constantly analyzing men and... and we, that's the things that goes through men's minds for the majority of time. And we spend the majority of our lives trying to keep up because something in us, if we're not careful, something in us says we need to perform in order to become or to, or to be. And so if we don't deal with that root cause of that, which is a sinful root cause, we will never become all that Christ wants us to be. We'll constantly try to perform it, all be external instead of understanding inside of us this relationship, birth with Jesus Christ is enough. And so we, we do all kinds of things to, to show our insecurities. We do all kinds of things to perform. We do all kinds of things trying to make sure that, that we are enough. Let me show you. Look at this example. Hey, babe, I'm going to pick up the girls. All right, love you. Said I love you. Love you too. You ever do that? You ever tell someone that you love them and you make sure that they say it back? I don't know what it is. I guess sometimes we just need to know where we stand with people. But hasn't it always been that way? I mean, think about it. When we were children, there was a 100% guaranteed reliable method that we used to find out whether or not someone liked us. I mean, it stood the test of time for centuries, and every kid on the planet knew it. You know what I'm talking about, the check the box note. 
And if you were smart, you would have your best friend to act as courier and then sit there in your seat and wait nervously for the response. Now I have a confession to make. Most children grow out of the check the box phase by middle school. But me, I gave my last check the box yes or no note when I was 27 years old. Now before you judge me, just listen to my story. It was a Sunday morning and there I was at church. While everyone else was singing, all I could do was think about the beautiful lady who was just sitting three seats down from me. I had known her for a few months and we had talked, just how you doing and what's up, that kind of stuff. But I wanted more and I just had to know if she felt the same way. So while everyone else was listening to the pastor, I sat there strategizing the best way to find out how she felt. And then it hit me. So I grabbed an offering envelope and one of those pencils that are only used in church and golf carts and I wrote her the note. I folded the envelope and passed it. I was a nervous wreck. Never in the history of note passing had it taken so long for three people just to deliver a note. Stephanie opened it. She grinned and grabbed a pencil. And by the time I got her message back, my anxiety had taken a nosedive into clinical illness. And now, the moment of truth. What did I do? I bought her something. And here we are 12 years later. I still have the note. I found it in a desk drawer just the other day. And it got me wondering, what does God think about me? I mean, let's be honest, on any given day, we are far less than likable. And wouldn't it be great on one of those days if we could just give a note like this to God, just to make sure that he likes us, that we're in his good graces? And then it hit me. He's already answered the question. He checked the box yes. How do I know this? It says it in his word, his love letter to us. It says in Isaiah 49, 16, it says that I have engraved your name on the palm of my hand. He checked yes. I mean, he was all in with his love. It was a definite yes. He even likes us, wants to have a relationship with us. So I don't know if you're ever gonna get a love letter like this or if you see one in your near future. But this right here may be the greatest love letter that we could ever receive. He said yes. God said yes to us. He says he loves us. He says he's our Father God. He's there for us. And uh, at some point during this message, go ahead and write your note, guys. If you see someone in your aisle, pass it down. Uh, get a courier for you. Um, but the reality is this. Until we get that one down... Men, until we get that one down, that God checked yes, we'll battle in, in a similar way like women do. We'll battle with, with this insecurity that we try to cover up and mask with performance. And we do a variety of things. We, 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 we just, for instance, you're traveling somewhere and everybody else is traveling to this place. It's a family gathering. It's a vacation. It's a, a family reunion. What's one of the first questions a man asks? How long did it take you to get here? Why do we ask that question? I mean, seriously, what's the root of that? Because we want to let them know we got here quicker, that we can outperform them. We're constantly asking questions to gauge 
to, to check out how we measure up to people. And so the classic picture of this is our performance, our need to perform so that we feel better about ourselves. And so today we're going to see, I think, one of the, the most incredible examples in Scripture of someone who did the very same thing and ultimately, because he never dealt with the root of this cause, which is insecurity, he never dealt with it, he never found his identity in in, in God, that it it ruined him and ultimately it killed him. And so my hope today is this, is that somehow, if, if that's you today, if you're trying to perform, you're trying to work it out, you're trying to keep up, and you're just running this like a hamster on a wheel, just trying to keep up so that you can stay on top, my hope is that there will come a moment that the Spirit grabs a hold of you today and says, stop! Jesus checked the box. Jesus loved you. Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to show you a man that didn't get it. He never got it his whole life. 1 Samuel chapter 9. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 9. If you need a Bible here in the main or the link, hold your hand up, or ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 to set up this, uh, this, this account today. As you find that, stand, we'll read it out loud together. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Let's read 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. Ready, read. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bacharoth, the son of Ephiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Let's read verse 2 again. Ready, read. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. You may have a seat. How many dudes would like to have that as a name tag? More handsome than anyone else in all the land. And not only was he handsome, the text says, everyone knew it in the whole land. Yeah, who's the most studly dude in the land? Oh, that's, that's, that's Saul. Who's head and shoulders? Not only was he handsome, but when he stood in the crowd, he stood out. So from the outside appearance, he had it. He had the package. He, he had a lot of notes passed the other way to him. And so just from a pure appearance standpoint, you would think that this man, the outside was enough for him that he would be a secure man. Yet the opposite is going to be true of him because no security comes from the outside only. It must come from the inside, establishing a relationship with God. In fact, we as men have an inner vulnerability about our abilities. A recent poll, and you could poll this, we could do it right here. 75% of men battle insecurity. Let me say, despite men's in control exterior, most men, your husbands, battle thoughts. Uh, I wonder if I measure up. I wonder if she'll always want me. I wonder if, if I'll, I'll get replaced. I wonder if, when I, as I age, if I'll still be able to. I wonder what will happen then. And so we're on this journey. What, what would happen if she leaves me? Will I still be there? What will happen? What will happen? And so we're constantly battling these thoughts of insecurity. Until we get grips on that, knowing that we're enough because of what Christ has done for us, we spend the majority of our time, the majority of our lives feeling insecure. Your man, ladies, if you're married today, is a very insecure man if he, at the roots 
of who he is until he establishes his identity in, in Jesus Christ. And the majority of the time, men feel like they're being watched and judged, so they spend their time performing. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let me show you this move on here. Samuel is about to anoint Saul to become king. So in the Old Testament, if you were the next king up, they would have a, a, a man of God would come. He got a word from God, and he would say, this is the man that's going to be the next king. So Samuel gets a word from God. He goes to Saul, and he tells Saul, you're going to be king, Saul. And so he's about to tell him this. And so Saul is just out doing his thing, just being Saul. Yet this man of God comes to him, and he gives him this unbelievable visitation. It says, you're going to be the king. Now, just imagine if someone came today and said, hey, you're going to be the president of the United States. Imagine, I see something in you. You've got what it takes, and the people's vote. We want you. Look what happens to Saul when Samuel comes to him. First Samuel chapter 9, look at verse 18. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And so Samuel replied, I am the seer. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way, and I will tell you all that's in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? He's asking, and to whom is it turned to? If not to you and your whole family line. So Saul gets this word from Samuel that says, in other words, all the attention is going to be brought on you. You're going to be the king of the land. And so Saul's first response, I mean, imagine, man of God comes visiting at your house. There he is. He's giving you a word. You've been out wandering around looking for donkeys, and you're trying to find the seer because you're supposed to talk to the man of God. And his first words out are basically, you're the king. You're the king of Israel. You are the man. Look at Saul's response because of his insecurity. Look at verse 21. Saul answered, but I'm not, am I not a Benjamite like from New Paris, Indiana, from the, the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? His first response was, I don't have what it takes. Don't you know my aunt and uncle Bob? I mean, we're from the, the group from on the other side of the tracks. I mean, you, you know, you got the wrong, you got the wrong Saul, I'm sure. I mean, we're in the van bound down, down by the river that, that sleeps there. Don't you know us? And so Saul's first response is, it can't be me. Like, God, you got this one wrong. His first response is insecurity. There's just no way it can be me and from my tribe. And um, I got a past or I, I failed high school or, or uh, uh, I work at Burger Chef. I flip burgers. I mean, it's like he started to base his decision back to God on his own performance and his DNA and his family instead of who he was in God and how God saw him. He kept seeing his past. He kept seeing, I don't measure up. I'm, I'm not as good as, I'm not. And all the while, think about this. He was handsome than in, more than anyone in the land. He was head and tall, shoulders tall. Just to look at him and say, man, I bet that guy's confident. I bet that guy's secure. But inside, he wasn't because he didn't base his identity in God the Father. He was a head taller, yet he was a hollow form of himself. And by the way, 
Satan knows this about us. You know, Scripture tells in Revelation 12, 10 that he regularly in, uh, in, goes before God and he accuses us of all our sins. And so, hey, this, this is Jim. This is what he did last night. Hey, this is what Jim did last week. And so we reel in our sin. He tries to remind us regularly of the sins we committed. You're not good enough. You got too much sin. You got this. You got to pass. And so daily we have these battles from the enemy, these lies. And I say it this way, we got to stop listening to the father of lies and start believing the God who supplies and, and he's the father that we need to listen to. Satan, John 8, 44, says the father of lies. And here's what he whispers to men regularly. Ladies, these are the kind of lies that we regularly have to battle against. And here's what we hear. Here you go again with that same sin. You're never going to be able to get over that. Why would anyone want to use you? How could you ever be a leader with that sin? And so that is a regular battle. Or you should be farther along in your journey with God. And so we, we're, we're constantly like measuring, man, I should be here, I'm 50 years old, or I'm 20 years old, or I'm 30, or I'm 40. I just, I'm like two steps back and one forward. And so regularly, you could never do that because you know one day you'll come back. And so we're battling this, this, this mind game and these thoughts from Satan. And then he tells us other lies, you are worthless. No one would ever pick you, especially if they knew the thoughts that you were thinking last night or yesterday. And so here's what we think, ladies. Those are the thoughts that run through our minds. That's like, if you open up our minds, that's the battle that's raging with men. Or you'll never succeed at anything. God doesn't love you. Or what makes you think you will ever be able to see victory there? You will fall again. Or see the way that person is looking at you? They know who you really are. Guys will walk into rooms, and if someone, if they're not secure and they're insecure, if they see someone who doesn't speak to them, their minds start to run down all these trails like, oh, he must know something about me. And that insecurity just surfaces. And you know what we do with it? We retreat from it. Or we attack out of our insecurity. And I'm going to show you in a second how we do that. Or here's the classic one for men. What if someone finds out about your childhood? Like, what if they found out how you were in high school? I know, guys. They meet at Grace Community Church, and they come in, and I've had guys say this to me. Boy, I hope so-and-so doesn't go there, because when I was in high school, and it's like we, 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 we freeze our own identities in our past, and we're fearful that someday someone's going to remember that when we were 16 or 17, we did these horrific things that somehow 40 years later, we're still that person. And so we'll retreat from venues, we'll retreat from men with fear of someone will know about our past. So we battle the insecurity of of the past. It's like the college guy that goes off to college. He meets this gal who loves Jesus, and this guy loves Jesus too. They meet, and they hang out together with some other friends, and He's chasing after Jesus. She's running after Jesus. And, and so they begin to realize they have something in common. But then he remembers, if I go back to my hometown, I'm like the dweeb in my school. That's how people see me. I'm like the dork. And if she knows that's how they see me back home, she won't want me. And so guys are thinking about, oh, I better protect her from my past. I better protect her from my home. I better protect her certainly from my parents. Because if she finds out about them, then, then I'll never measure up. 
So you'll see guys battling with insecurity. And meanwhile, the enemy continues to win. See, most men struggle with the imposter complex that says we don't like to admit that we don't know what we are doing. Seriously, I mean, how about in the classroom? Like, how many dudes are like, when, it, when the instructor, no matter what it is, I don't care what you're doing. Like, how many of you are the first to say, he, they give you instruction and you're in this classroom or you're, you're learning this new trade at work or whatever it is, and it's like, you don't have a clue what to do. You're sitting there, it's like, but you will not let them know that you don't have a clue. You're not asking the question. And you're just glad that there's some secure guy in there that doesn't care that he doesn't know. And you're so glad. And when he asks the question, you're all ears to get the answer. How many of you are guilty? How many of you are guilty, dudes? All oh, you're a bunch of liars. I know you all are. <laughs> but men battle with that insecurity all the time. You see, we don't like to admit that we don't know what to do or we don't know how to do it. And so you know what happens is we just pull away from it. I'm not going to be part of that because I don't want them to think that I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do it as well as them. So I'll just retreat you know, and pretend. You know, I'm, I'm not interested. That's a guy's common response. I don't want to be part of that. And, the, and, and at the root often is insecurity. Because we don't want people to know that we don't have a clue what's going on. And instead of learning something new, we'll spend the majority of our lives spending in a cycle of the same thing and never becoming what Christ wants us to be. Saul basically did that his whole life. He was an insecure king that tried to perform, and when anyone threatened him to get his kingship, he would want to take them out because he was an insecure man. We don't want people to know we don't know. Saul had the same fear. Insecure men will shy away from trying new things if they can't perform like the next man. And so as this man continues to age, Saul was one of these men I'm going to show you, he slowly dies of debt, of retreat and reclusiveness. He never fully lives to his redemptive potential. And there are men like this ever. There are fathers, your dads, some of your dads, that's the man. He just, he's a provider. He goes to work. He gives you money. He pays the bills, but he doesn't have a deep relationship with another man. And he would dare not jump in because the fear of that somehow they would find out that he's insecure or he can't do it as well as they can instead of learning and growing and becoming what he should be. And by the way, some men have some incredible excuses. And they sound really good. Like, I'm not going to be part of that because, you know, hey, my son's got this going on and I've tried it before. And, and it's like, dudes, just admit it. You're insecure. And until you admit that, you'll never become who Christ wants you to become. Everything we do when we're insecure is based upon our performance. Let me give you an example. Uh, a few years ago, we, we took a group of men to Western Maryland in a road trip to our retreat up on the mountaintop. And one of the things we do there, we have some fun games together. We have, God always shows up on that mountain. But one time we had squads and we broke them a squad, just have a competition. I brought a 22 Marlin Glenfield rifle purposely without a scope with iron sights to give guys a chance to shoot at a target. And what I wanted to do, we put the target up, so each squad walked up, and every single man in the squad was supposed to shoot the rifle. It wasn't grab three or grab four, it's grab everybody. And I immediately watched something happen when I said that. I watched men slowly back up. 
pull away because they were fearful that they had to shoot a gun that they had never done and they didn't want other dudes to know that they had never done it. But I, I reiterated, I wanted them to walk through that. They didn't know what was happening, but I did. I wanted them to walk through that. And I'll tell you what happened. Each man walked up, and I'll give you an example of one man. He walked up, he grabbed a hold of the 22, and it was a lever action. And I showed him this lever action, how it operated. But he was getting ready to pull the trigger, and he hadn't pulled back the hammer on the rifle. And I knew this could be like a big major fail moment for him, and I wanted to protect him. So I leaned over to him, and I said this. I said, it's okay, dude. I said, take that thing on top, whisper to him. I said, pull it back, make sure it locks. And I said, it doesn't matter if you hit the target, just pull the trigger. And I watched this man who had never fired a gun before, a 22 at a target, go and pull the trigger on this 22. And I watched him hit the target. And all of a sudden, I watched this man morph from fearful and secure to, huh, I can do that. Something else happened that week, night that we were there. Pastor Jeremy made a great mention. Men, after, man after man after man overcame a fear. Man after man after man walked through insecurity and just pulled the trigger and shot at a target, just had target practice. And I watched an unbelievable vulnerability and transparency just kind of just hover on that mountain like never before because men pulled off their face mask and revealed who they were and they tried something new and it changed the worship on the mountain. Why? Because they weren't operating in sin. Because they weren't dependent upon themselves. Because they were relying upon God. And all of a sudden, in that moment, men were completely changed. But we don't like others to know that we don't know how to do it. So every day, men go to work trying to keep up. Trying to outperform the next guy. Trying to prove he has what it takes. And the thought that someone thinks he can't make the cut just levels us. So he works long hours, trying to keep up, stay out in front, often at the root of someone who continues to work and work and work and work and work is a performance-based relationship that says, I need to perform, I need to perform, I need to measure up, I need to measure up. And at the root of that often is insecurity. You know where it comes from? It comes from the same place it does for, for, for women. Every man has a wound that he works his entire life trying to heal. And often that wound comes from his father. You see, deeply rooted performance gene is often rooted as an absent dad. Sound familiar? That's why this is so important. This is like, okay, Jim, you said that last week. I did. That's why it's so important. Listen, for those of us who are dads and maybe will be dads, listen, we got to get this down. If we don't, then we will raise insecure men that produce insecure men will produce insecure men who will produce insecure men who won't know how to love their daughters. And the whole genealogy of your name and the future generations will be insecurity. We can stop this, men. We can raise up godly men and women who change the world, who are confident in Christ. Anyone will be part of that? I want to be part of that. But. Every day, this rooted insecurity causes us to perform. I say it like this. If you've got one of those dads, it's time to move on, by the way. Quit living as a victim. 
And I've, I spoke to some guys sometimes like, yeah, when I was a kid, this, my dad did this. My dad wasn't there. My dad, my dad, my dad. And I said, dude, it's time you move on. <laughs> Become the man you wish your dad always would have been. And you no longer have to say, but my dad wasn't there. Just go be that man. You see, men carry their treasure and their security and their performance in fragile containers, thinking that at any moment it could come crashing down. The best way I can describe it is to say this. Every man believes he's on the replacement list. Saul did too. Finally, Saul anoints or Samuel anoints Saul. Look at, look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. Watch this. Like, you would think that this would just be the, 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 the pinnacle of his life. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. Finally, Samuel anoints Saul as king. Look at chapter 10 and look at verse 14. Now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Saul's uncle says, hey, where have you been? I know that you've been out looking for donkeys. Um, and so he says, I've been looking for donkeys. But when we saw that you were not to be found, we went to Samuel. In other words, we know that you were with Samuel. You see, he was with Samuel because Samuel was anointing him king. Look what happens. Look at his insecurity. Verse 15, Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to who? You. Look at verse 16. Follow along for Samuel chapter 10. Look at verse 16. Saul replied, He assured us that the donkeys have been found, but he did not tell his uncle what, who, who, Samuel had said about the what. Come on, why? Why? Think about this for a second. Dudes, just dudes, you just became king. (laughs) I mean, you're Burger King. You know, there you are. You got the crown. It's like, king. You know, in my case, King James, huh? (laughs) You, you just became king. I mean, the man of God says, you got what it takes. You're king. I mean, wouldn't it like, and he's already, the scripture says, he's already head and shoulders above everybody. So he's already taller. And it says he was handsome. One version said he was the most handsome man in the land. Now he's got a crown on his head. You would think that this dude would be like, yeah, bring it on. But what do we see here? So his uncle, Uncle Bob says, hey, 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 Saul, come here. What did Samuel say to you? What, what did he say to you? Well, he talked about where the donkeys were at. No, 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 no. What did he say to you? He did not tell his uncle that he became king. Why? Come on, I mean, it's your uncle. Because he was fearful that his uncle would say, are you kidding me? You live in the van on the, down by the road, down by the river, on the other side of the tracks. He was fearful that his uncle would say, no one from that tribe. Come on, man, no way. I know who your daddy is. I know who, you, who your brothers are. I know who your daddy's brothers are. There's, you're not king material. He was king. And he was afraid to tell his own family that he was king. Why? Because he was insecure. Come on, is that incredible? He's the king of Israel. And he's afraid to tell him. Well, so he doesn't tell his uncle. Look what happens next. Look at, look at 1 Samuel chapter 10. Now look at verse 16 or 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel. He's going to tell the people of Israel that Saul's king. 
And he said to them in verse 18, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kings that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God who saves you in all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, no, appoint a king over us. So, in other words, now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. In other words, he says, Samuel says, okay, you want a king? I got a king. And so in the Old Testament, what they do, they'd call you out. All right, Browns, come walking out. And Browns would come walking out. Smiths would come walking out, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, and they would line them up. And they're wondering, who's it going to be? Is it going to, I bet it's him. Now just picture, Saul was already head and shoulders above everyone. He was handsome. And so read on, look what happens. Verse 20, when Samuel had all Israel come before him by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, look what it says. He was not to be what? Found. It's like, now listen, he already knew he was king. Now, if you're king, wouldn't you like, (laughs) here I am. Look what it says about him. He was nowhere to be found, verse 22. So they inquired farther. In other words, where's he at? Has the man come here yet? Like, we're waiting on the king. Look what it says in verse 22. And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the what? The baggage, the supplies. (laughs) He's in the lost baggage claim department. (laughs) Can you just picture him? He's all bent over. Because he's, he's tall, he's handsome, and he's like, he's fretting. I can't be king. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I don't have what it takes. And so they went looking for him, and he's howling over, all hunched over in the baggage claim department. Why? Insecurity. He thought, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm from this clan. We, we don't produce kings from that. That just doesn't happen. And God says, oh, yes, it does happen. And so here comes this king. He finally comes out. He's probably all hunched over because he he was laying in the baggage, hair all unkempt, and here's king. Inside, he was struggling with insecurity because he was a performance-based man and didn't know who he really was. It's the same with men. The majority of men want to be good husbands. We do. We want to be good dads. We want to be good friends. We want to be good brothers. In fact, we are very hard on ourselves, and we base our success on other people's responses to us. And Saul was a classic example. He knew that his own uncle would never claim him as king. And so in his mind, he wasn't king because he didn't get the affirmation from the very people close to him. You see, in the fight to perform, here's what men want. Men want affirmation. Affirmation means everything to us. By the way, ladies, listen, if you're married here today, listen to me. If you're married and you get nothing else from this message, he needs you. He needs you to say, I believe in you. He needs you to say, I'll follow you anywhere. He needs you to say, I respect you. He needs you to say that, that, that I notice you. He needs your words. And when you speak to him, it gives him identity that that he's longing for from you. 
When I was a kid, there was a phrase that went like this. Sticks and stones will, will break, well, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. That is a bunch of baloney. Because it does. Especially if we're not secure in our identity in Jesus Christ. The tongue has the power of life and death, Proverbs 18.21 says. Your words carry so much power in a life. Why do you think God the Father, when he had his first words to Jesus Christ at his baptism, why do you think his first words? He could have said anything. He could have articulated anything. Like, hey, I, I, you need to go over there and get some work done. Hey, you need to go. Hey, someone over there is sick. Go heal somebody. Hey, I noticed that you missed out on that. Hey, you know what? Um, um, you're not doing such a good job over here. Hey, he, he could have said all kinds of things. You know what he said? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And why did he say? Because we need affirmation. You see, we know that too, by the way. Guys know that. And we'll keep those words from other men because we're performance-based. Like, I'm not telling him. You might work on the same assembly line with someone. And you notice that there's this dude that does it better than you. But you know what? You would never tell him that if you're an insecure man. You know what you do? You'll find every fault that you can find about to point out because you feel that you don't want his performance to be better than you. And so you know what insecure men do? They'll never hire someone around them that's stronger than, that's better than them. They won't join groups where people can do it better than them so that it can sharpen them and they can become men like them. They would never do that. They'll just retreat and back away and the words to them will just kill them because they're insecure. An apt and timely word from another man speaks courage to another man like nothing else. I watched this happen with a guy at Grace. And I'll I'll keep his name. His name doesn't matter. But it was a young guy that was in one of our chapters of Fight Club a few chapters back. And one of the assignments just happened to be that week was to do so many push-ups. I think it was 50 or 60 push-ups for six a day for six days. And this guy was, he didn't have a father at home. He had a mom and a sister. And, and I think my son Josh invited him and he, he came to be part of Fight Club. And one of the first weeks of Fight Club, he had to do 50 push-ups. And, and so the desire was to do them 50, not consecutively, but to do 50 in one setting. And so he responded on the, the closed Facebook page, something like this. Pray for me, men. I, I can't do the push-ups. And so guys thought he was trying to do 50 consecutive. And so the first word out was, listen, you don't need to do 50 in a row. You just need to do 50. And if it takes, needs, if it takes you all day, then it takes you all day. And he responded back after a couple of days, no, I don't know if I can do 50 push-ups. And you could see in his words, his, he, he says, I want to continue this on and, and, and I want to grow, but I don't know. And you know what happened? Oh my goodness, it was incredible. Bam, 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 bam. Comment, 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 comment. You can do this. You, hey, if you need help from me, I'll be there. Hey, hey, I got your back. I'm praying for it. Bam, 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 bam. 124 responses later, 124 responses later of masculinity, of courage from one man to another man. You know what happened to him? Let me tell you what happened to him. I got called down to Grace College. My, my son asked me to go down and speak at Beta Hall. They had a man Olympics in the evening. They started at 11 o'clock, so they want me to go down there. And so they had these games. And one of the games, this is like, this is like 10 weeks later, one of the games was men had to get down and plank 
to see who could plank the longest. And those who are part of Fight Club, I know that you love planking. Anyhow, they had, they had to get down and plank. Guess who's one of the, the dudes that's planking? This, this, this young freshman. And so I was thinking, you know, so they asked for volunteers. Guess who volunteered first? This dude did. Guess what dude planked for five minutes and 13 seconds? He did. And you know how that happened? Because men poured masculinity and encouragement into this guy, and he believed that he could do it. Let me tell you something that's really cool. Praise God for that. Let me tell you something real cool about that. At graduation, he came, and his mom was out of state. And he came at graduation, and I, I, I got to know him because, like, man, he must not have a dad. He's been wounded. And, and he came to graduation, and I walked, watched him walk up, and he said, my name is da-da, and I'm a fight club man. I grabbed a hold of his hand. I said, listen to me, bro. I'm not your daddy, but if I was your daddy, here's what I would tell you. I am so proud of you. Tears just streaming down his face. You see, men know that. We know that, that we, need, we could speak it into other men, but we withhold it because we perform. That means they're better than us in our minds. And so insecurity doesn't even allow us to help another dude win. By the way, insecure men can be spotted by secure men pretty quickly. Let me give you some basic truths about how insecurity surfaces in a man. We hold grudges against other men when we're insecure. We won't admit that we're wrong either. That's, that's what we do, ladies. We won't admit that we're wrong when we're insecure because if we admit that we're wrong, then because we're performance-based and that, that kind of chips away at the outside of us. We won't join if we have to admit that someone else is right. That's what insecure men do. We, we, I'm not being part of that. I'm not joining that team. I'm not going over there. That means by me joining, that even if it's 1%, I'm saying that, that, that he was right and I was wrong. And so you know what we do? We don't even join. We just sit on the sidelines. We choose not to try if we think we won't succeed. In fact, when other men stop communicating with us, we immediately think something's wrong with us. So here's what we do. We walk into rooms and like, well, he didn't speak to me today. Like, he usually speaks to me. Hey, I saw him. Oh, he must, he must think this about me. An insecure man's like, you know, when I sit with dudes, I'm like, dude, stop it. That's from hell. That's from Satan. We get jealous of other men and become silent with them. Like, we would never praise someone that's doing a good job because, remember, we're performance-based and we're insecure. And so, you know what we do? We don't, we, don't, we don't applaud. We don't, the word encourage means to put courage into someone. Dudes don't do that with other dudes when they're insecure. I'm not telling, he gets enough from them. He doesn't need any more. I'm not giving any more because that means he's better than me even more. We will not try new things if we think someone else finds out it's our first time and we don't have a clue. Like, here's, here's stupid stuff that guys do. Like, even, this, just world events. We had a conversation in our office this week, and a conversation came up with someone said, you know, someone, he said, I, I was here, and someone asked me if, 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 they, if I knew what was happening in the courthouse, and it was a murder trial. And he said, I'm telling you what I did. He said, I was like, oh, yeah. He said, I didn't have a clue. Well, I wasn't letting know I didn't have a clue. Because if I let them know I didn't have a clue, then that somehow, that, that, that says that I couldn't perform. Ladies, that's stuff we deal with when we're insecure. 
So what happens is you go for years not addressing this insecurity and you end up with fragile, controlling, jealous, resentful men that run from commitment and end up dividing homes, workplaces, marriages, churches. In fact, you show me a confident man, a risk-taking man, sure of himself, I will show a woman behind him who says, baby, you the man, and other men pouring courage into him. Now, here's the real kicker in all this. This is where it goes south quickly. I have women who want their men to change, and yet they just continue to pick him apart and expect him to change. And the flip side of that going south is this. One of the primary reasons, listen, one of the primary reasons a married man runs to pornography or an adulterous relationship is because of lack of affirmation from his wife who constantly finds faults and picks him to pieces. And by the way, it's sin either way, but that's the root of that sinful behavior. Isn't that what Proverbs 7, 21 to 27 talks about the adulterous man? And he gets pulled away, not just by her looks, but by her flattering words. See, women know that too. And so they'll speak into another man because he needs words. You remember when David was about to go out and kill Goliath? You know who should have been on the front lines? Guess who was king during that time? Saul. Guess whose battle that David won. David won Saul's battle. Saul should have been on the front lines, walking in the power of the Lord. Do you remember how Saul, do you remember how Saul tried to help David? He thought, remember, performance-based, external. He says, hey, David, come here. If you're willing to walk out there, put on my battle gear. So David begins to try to put it on, thinking, Saul thinks that's what's going to protect you. It's the outside. And David says, I can't go on this. I'm going in the power of the Lord God. Internally, Saul was externally. And Saul would ultimately take his life by his own sword. You see, when we know who we are in here, it changes who we are out here. David was always comfortable in his skin, but Saul wasn't. You see, this unresolved Unresolved insecurity by Saul robbed him of what God truly wanted him to do and left him as an angry, jealous, hollow, insecure, tall, and handsome man. And our landscape is littered with them. These men that should be walking in the power of the Lord, haven't tried a new thing, who are 50, 40 years old, and they only try stuff that they know how to do because they dare not try something they don't know how to do because fearful that they couldn't perform. And meanwhile, God might be calling them to be that man and they'll never be that man because of fear and insecurity and they believe the lies of the devil. Imagine, by the way, I want so badly if I could jump into scripture. I'd like to, like, I'd like to be walking out tribe by tribe and then when Saul came walking out, I would like to say, you're the man, big boy! <laughs> You got what it takes. I'll follow you. Listen, I don't care what family you're from. God doesn't care about your past. He, he's there in your future. And he pointed you. I believe in you. Imagine if he walked in that authority and walked in that security. Imagine how the whole Old Testament during this time would be changed. Imagine how your life could look different. You see, somewhere along the course 
of human history, dudes, listen, we've forgotten who we are. And we believe a lie that's based on performance instead of who we are in Jesus Christ. I want to do something with you a second. If this doesn't get addressed, you know what ends up happening? We start attacking other men. We start calling them out to beat them down. And if we don't address this issue, we'll never become all that Christ wants us to become. So I want you to do something. If you're a man and you're in the link and you're in the main, I want you to work your way right up to the front. You know if you're a man or not, so just just work your way to the front. And I want you to work, just work up as close as you can get. Front to back, side to side, take space. Don't just... Work your way up. Work along the sides over here, sides over here, same in the main. Just make room for them. Make room for the dudes. Just squeeze in, squeeze in. Keep moving, keep moving in. Just, just squeeze in. If you're a man, hey, if you're a man, you're not sitting. Keep moving up, keep moving up, working over here. Come on, be a man. Push, 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 push. <laughs> I want you to do something. There's a man to your left or right. I want you to turn to him and say this. You are son of God. No, 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 listen, dudes. Turn to the man beside you and say, you are son of God. Let's hear it. Tell him this. You are loved by God the Father. Turn and tell him. Turn to someone else. Turn to someone else. Tell him. You are the glory and image of God. I want you to do something. I want you to put your arms around the guy. Shoulder, shoulder. In the aisles. Find someone. Don't stand there with your hands in your pockets. I want to speak to you candidly. Some of you men are riddled with insecurity. Some of you men, when I was talking today, that was you. Some of you men, you're gossiping about another man. When you're all alone, you're knocking him down with your words. Some of you men are jealous of other men and their performance. Some of you men aren't being the man that God wants you to be. You're taking your eyes elsewhere instead of leaning on Jesus Christ, some of you men right now in the condition today aren't being the man that Christ wants you to be. Some of you men are just kind of just pulled away, like, we'll let other people do it. Some of you men refuse to try anything new in Jesus Christ because you're fearful that you'll be found out. Some of you men need to repent. So I want you to do something in this moment is I want you to just bow your head arm to arm, wrapped around the shoulder, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to forgive you of this performance-based walk of those evil things that you say about other men. And 
and the ways that you've knocked other men down to bump you up. For the ways that you've let your wife down and your kids down. So once you ask the Holy Spirit to to sweep over your heart. I want you to say, God, I'm sorry. That's not the man I was made to be. There's so much more, God. I know it. I, I, I sense it. I see it. I want to be that man that you breathe life into. I want to I take my name. And I want people to think of my name as a mighty warrior for Jesus Christ. Tell him, I refuse to go back. I refuse to listen to the lies of the devil. I refuse to fall short on my watch. I will guard the gate. Some of you men need to unite as one. See, here's what could happen, guys. Think about it. What would happen if every one of us, right now, every one of us in this room, in the lane, what if we, we, we stood back to back? What if we stood arm to arm? What if we united around who we are instead of what we can do? We are, we are sons of God. What would happen if, if we said, you know what? I'm going to help you win. And, and I'm going to let you help me win. And I'm going to sharpen you instead of cutting you down. What would happen at the body of Christ and these men? What if we just said, listen, not on our watch, not in this church. This church is going to pour courage into another man. This church of men is going to reach out. This church of men is going to develop a brand new group of men who do life together for Jesus. Listen, man, my Bible says this. You are chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are men belonging to God. Please, for the cause of Jesus Christ, No more, no more backbiting. No more performing. No more judging. Arm to arm, back to back, storming the gates of hell in the name and cause of Jesus Christ. Any man in for that? Dear God, I pray this, this power upon us from you. I pray that the real living God would would live through us, outside of us. I pray that we'd be stripped of our insecurities. I pray that we become the fathers, the brothers, the leaders, the husbands. Please, God, may we no longer let the devil beat us up and feed us lies. God, Satan is the father of lies. You're God, the Father who supplies. So God, I pray a covering, a power like never before upon Grace Community men. I pray that they march into the battlefield 
armed with the spiritual armor of God, ready to take on, ready to jump into new things, ready to do whatever it takes to give you glory. I ask that in the strong name of Jesus Christ who showed us how to do it. And all God's men said what? Now go. Don't be the man that you were when you came in. Go storm the streets, the halls, the roads, and stand up. Are you in? Go get them.